Dear podcast subscribers, fun news. Every other week, we'll drop into the lineup a 30-minute episode of Listen Up from Welcome Project Radio. In addition to one of our stories, you'll also hear discussion of that story from co-director Allison Schutte and Welcome Project aficionado Willow Walsh. Hope you enjoy. Hello, Valparaiso. This is Allison Schutte. And Willow Walsh. And you're listening to... Welcome... Project... Radio. The Welcome Project collects first-person stories and pairs them with facilitated conversation to help participants forge stronger ties within and across communities. We vision a world in which people are curious about and actively seek to engage those who are different from themselves. We are proudly underwritten by Asana Yoga Center and Roots Organic Juice Cafe, two excellent ways to feel good during a pandemic. They're located online at asanacenter.com and rootsjuicecafe.com. Theme music is provided by WVLP's very own Paul Schreiner. Thanks, Paul. Today we bring you To Be a Good Neighbor, a story from the Welcome Project's archives. Every um, episode we'll be playing a story from our archive. And then Willow and I will have a conversation with each other based on the facilitation practice that the Welcome Project learned from Elizabeth Lynn. And many of you, if you're here listening in Valparaiso, will know and remember Elizabeth. So shout out to Elizabeth. (laughs) Our story today, To Be a Good Neighbor, is told by a woman who grew up in Lake County, describing how she defines being a good neighbor locally and across Lake and Porter counties. A good neighbor is someone who doesn't prejudge me. And we look out for each other. If, if I see your mail is in my box by mistake, I'll knock on your door and give you your mail. If I'm carrying groceries, they will help me open the door and not just stand there and look at me. Things like that. That's what I mean, good neighbors. Perfect example. I'm running for the bus, and it just pulls away. I'm, I know they didn't see because had they seen me, they would have stopped. So I'm, I'm disgusted. I'm saying, oh, man, I got to wait for an hour, and it was cold. I'm pushing the basket back. And this woman approaches me, and she asked me if I needed a ride. And I wasn't sure how to respond to her because... I didn't know who she was. I said, who offers a strange woman? Okay, I'm thinking, um, oh, no, I, I'm okay. I'll just get the bus. Are you sure? Because I could take you. I, I said, well, okay. I think I could take if I had to beat her up or anything like that. And then I, I got in with her, and she was the sweetest, one of the most sweetest, thoughtful people I've met at Valpo. And small world, she teaches at Valpo University. I mean, how weird was that? She told me about her, her thing that she's doing about Gary. I said, well, look, I'm from Gary. What? You know? And it just, it just goes to show how you have to have an element of trust in no matter what you do. And I'm thinking, what if I would have said, okay, no, I'm fine. No, thank you. And just waited in the cold for another hour for the bus. This is a good example of what I meant by being a good neighbor and looking out for each other and, and learning to trust each other. We have to let down our guard a little bit. We can't always be suspicious of everybody. Lake and Porter County. Ooh, I don't think we could be good neighbors. That's like saying uh, Indianapolis and Northwest Indiana. Uh, golly, no. If Porter County and Lake County could get along, what would that mean for the region economically? That would be awesome. But there is so much animosity to be overcome. There are so many old wounds that need to be healed. Uh, I hate painting everything in a racial context, but the more I think about it, I think it might be that because Lake County was so heavily African-American and Latino, and Porter County for so many years was almost totally white. That's the problem, and overcoming that is going to be hard. Although I know that 
the suburbs are opening up and they are not as exclusively white as they used to be. There's still remnants of that lingering and particularly by people in power. I can't even say I have much hope for the future because they tend to pass on to their children many of their beliefs. I don't know. But I think if we could realize how much there is to gain if we would combine forces, this little pocket in Northwest Indiana. I mean, Lake County has got the mill, and we've got a, a workforce that's ready to work, and Porter has space and, and agriculture and farms. It's got the university. A lot that we could share, and if we brought that all together, it would change the whole dynamic of this area. But again, I, this dream talk, I don't think that could happen anytime soon, because there's still a lot of suspicion about each other, and we don't trust each other. Lake County doesn't trust Porter County and vice versa. To be a good neighbor, there has to be an element of trust there, and that doesn't exist right now. I don't know if, when or if it ever could. Willow, um, how would you describe the storyteller, the, the acts that the storyteller considers neighborly? Yeah, I think she starts on this sort of like really small actions that are kind of I don't know, really local, like she says, like, you know, I'll knock on your door and give you your mail. Or, you know, if I if I see my neighbor bringing groceries in, I'll, you know, I'll hope that they'll hold the door open for me and vice versa, that I'd hope, you know, hold the door open for them. And so it feels like these really small, manageable tasks mm -hmm. of like, of like reaching out to yeah, one yeah. another. Um, but then she gives this perfect example, which, which feels a little more than what she described initially of what being a good neighbor is. Her perfect example is this idea of, you know, this woman approaching her at the store and asking her if she needs a ride. And, and I think that's a little, little bit more, right? That's not just, you know, holding the door open. That's like it ups saying... the ante. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's like, you're like, really throwing it all in there like you're gonna devote to it to to roll up and say like not only you know i'm gonna offer this ride but i'm going to you know accept the ride i think that goes kind of both ways yeah um i wonder if we could talk about what else maybe makes it feel like the bus ride ups the ante like how important is safety she has a line in there um like uh um if I, I could take her if I had to, to beat her up or something like that. So, I mean, it seems like she's, in her, the tone of her voice, you know, as she's reminiscing at least, it's it's a little bit playful, but that that basic kind of need or concern for safety is, is there. And that feels very different than the, um, you know, I'm going to give you your mail if it ended up in my box kind of thing. So I'm, I'm curious about, like, how I'm, important maybe safety is in this upping of the ante as we try to be good neighbors to each other yeah no I think that's a good point like I think it's like safety and trust and I think there's this sort of like implicit balance that she's kind of striking here like safety to the element of like I don't know this person I could probably take them in a fight so it's okay <laughs> I could probably go for a ride with them but also like trust so there is an element there that she's acknowledging that it's not as safe as maybe getting on the bus but then there's also that element of like you know what I'm just going to trust this woman and and hope she has you know my, my best intentions in mind 
And so, yeah, so I think she kind of balances that. And I suppose maybe the idea that she could probably take her if, if things got, got bad, <laughs> maybe that lowers the safety, you know, and, and, you know, helps her trust her more. But I think there's that balance there between trust and, and safety. Yeah, I'm really curious, like, how she made the leap. Um, and I, I wonder, as she goes through this thought process, I mean, after she misses the bus, she's thinking about the hour and the cold. And then after she gets the invitation, she's like, well, who offers a strange woman? And that's interesting because she's thinking about it from the driver's point of view. Like, why would a, I'm strange to a driver. Why would a driver make that gesture? And then she hesitates altogether. Like, well, no, I'll just take the bus. And then the driver persists. And I wonder if that persisting is a part of what makes the the trust the move to trust possible um but i'm maybe it also has something to do with the fact that she was able to understand that the driver was taking a risk if she could put herself in the driver's shoes and see mm. that i'm strange to her and yet she's doing this so that she's re- the storyteller's realizing that both people are like yeah, moving yeah. towards each other or, or taking chances maybe yeah. with each other. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think there, there's that element of like, like you, I mean, I don't know, because I wonder if she had only stayed in her own mindset and not thought, you know, who offers this strange woman a ride? Maybe if she thought like, you know, I don't know who this strange yeah, woman is approaching yeah. me at the grocery store. And I think that maybe adds a level of like stepping back of, of being a little bit further away. So I, I think you're totally right on that idea of like thinking about it in one another's shoes, because I think the driver had to do that too, right? Like the driver had to see her miss the bus and decide like, you know, and put herself in that shoes and see that it's cold outside, you know, she's going to have to wait for the next bus and make that decision to offer a ride. And so I think that happened on both sides. Both sides kind of had to decide, like, you know, am I going to offer this ride and am I going to take this ride and kind of recognize um, what both sides were offering. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Uh, Something you said earlier on, too, made me wonder, like, if there are certain people she wouldn't have accepted a ride from like if she would have decided like I couldn't take this person and what that might have to do with if it mattered in this case that they're the same gender for example um or if it had to do with like age or anything like that um and then I uh I know that we don't usually talk about things that are outside of the story, but like in this case, like I'm that, that woman that offered the ride. And so I know that like, I don't always offer rides when I see need to. So that's always in the back of my head with this story. Like why did I decide to offer her a ride that day? Um, I, I, I don't really know. Like, usually there's some sort of intuition, I feel, about, mm. like, whether it's the right time, whether I feel like... I mean, I do think that there was probably things I was reading about her person as well. Like, did she seem safe, kind, something like that, um, as well as, like, what is the need here? And 
will I be able to fulfill that need? Do you have kind of examples in mind of deciding to be a neighbor or not like that? that yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Like you mentioned, like, you know, as you're, as you're driving past her, you can kind of identify that need as either the bus drives away or she, she's sitting and waiting for the bus, you know, that's like, I'm in my car driving from the store. I have the ability in this moment to meet this need. Um, and I think, and I think that plays a big part of it in terms of wanting to reach out and, and kind of do that neighborly action of, of picking her up and, and taking, you know, giving her a ride. Um, but I, I think you're right. I think it's, it's hard in terms of, you know, if I'm, if I'm driving and I'm seeing other folks either like on the side of the road, I, I think particularly about like people who are having car troubles on the side of the road and, you know, I kind of go back and forth in my mind, like, should I stop? Should I not? But the way that I'm reading that situation is that I probably don't have the tool set to help and to yeah, be a good yeah, neighbor in yeah. that moment. So, so I think that plays a big, big role in terms of like, I have a car, I have the time, I am reading the situation, I'm, a, you know, able to give her a ride um, in terms of, you know, you know, hold that against the, the opposite, which is I see somebody stranded on the side of the road and I don't necessarily know how to help, but there's that yeah. want there still, I yeah. think. I think yeah. that want carries over, but I think, you know, maybe we hesitate. I don't know if it goes back to safety or trust necessarily, but, you know, this idea of what, when do we reach out and why do we reach yeah. out and, like, what we need in order to reach out. Like, what yeah. do we need from the situation to, to make that leap? Yeah, I think I, I've sometimes seen people in distress, like if I'm walking down the sidewalk, which I do a lot in, in Valparaiso. And if I am uncertain whether I will be able to help, like, or I'm just like, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Like, I can't tell how deep the need is. So it's almost like the more distressed they are, which is the time that someone needs the most help, is also the time that I get the most cautious mm. because I just have, like, my I'm just afraid, like, I won't be able to fulfill this person's need. And so that fear actually gets in the way of, what does she say later, like, letting my guard down. Mm. Um, and my suspicion actually gets heightened a mm. little bit. So it, I don't feel good in the situations because I do feel like most of us, like most of us, as I feel like the storyteller is saying, like we, we actually do want to be good neighbors to each other. Um, but when the stakes get higher, it gets, it gets mm-hmm. a little bit harder to do. I actually wonder if that's a, a segue to the sort of second part of yeah. this this story like what what is going on in this shift from like this these individual encounters that she's talking about to this discussion of lake and porter county yeah no i think that's yeah that's a great segue because she's talking about this like these like local or interpersonal interactions as like a lot more possible so right she even opens up again with that idea of like taking mail over to my neighbor or holding the door open like that's that's like those are really small actions that I feel like a lot of us are really capable of, you know, going a little farther, which is offering a ride and also getting into that ride and sharing that. 
But as she switches to kind of talk a little more broadly about, you know, these two counties, Lake and Porter County, it, it, my sense from her is that, you know, it, it gets a little more tenuous. It's a little bit harder. You know, she says, I don't think we could be good neighbors. And so I think it maybe once it gets to that broader scale, when it's not as interpersonal and it's more regional and geographic, I think it becomes a little harder to approach. And also she mentions that it carries more things, right? Like there's, there's a history behind yeah. it. There's, you know, these sort of perceptions that people have. There's like a racial aspect to it. Like there's, there's so many things that, that are kind of going against being able to make these neighborly connections. And I, and I, my sense is that for the speaker, that's a little more, you know, harder to tackle versus those smaller moments where you're deciding to meet the need of somebody, deciding to pull the car over and, and give somebody a ride. You know, again, like I know how to meet that need. So when I think about, you know, being a good neighbor between Lake and Porter County, it's like, I have no idea how to meet that need. You know, I think the speaker kind of gets at that a little bit. She's like, you know, well, Lake County, we have like the mills and we've got a workforce and Porter County has like space and agriculture and farms. So she's like kind of getting at this idea of like how we might be able to help each other, but. And like how we would actually really be complimentary yeah, to each other. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it just feels like, I, it, it feels more, you know, just hard to approach. It's, it's not as easy as saying like, you know, aha, the next time I'm at the grocery store and I see someone <laughs> miss the bus and I feel safe and I let my guard down and I trust and I offer that ride or I, you know, allow somebody to take me for a ride. You know, that's, that's something a little more graspable, I think. But I think we don't get into the weeds as much here in terms of like, what does that next step look like? So I think like that would be my question for you. I don't know if you have an idea for that, but like what does that look like to be a good neighbor like between counties? How do we do that? Yeah, so I um you know, because of the work that through the Welcome Project we do, one of our initiatives Flight Paths is all about the history in Northwest Indiana. And so I think about this question a lot and I ask people about it a lot and I don't I don't want to pretend that I have any good answers by any means but I do think that she has um put us in a place where we should start you know like um there are so many old wounds that need to be healed so like what are those old wounds I think she gives us some clues and then what does it mean to heal them so let's maybe start by thinking about like what are those old wounds she says I hate painting everything in a racial context um, how is she thinking what those wounds look like when she's bringing up the racial context? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, just based on, you know, our work with the Welcome Project, you know, I'm, I'm understanding these old wounds as, like, um, when, you know, Gary was thriving and then they elected, you know, uh, uh, a black mayor, uh, Mayor Richard Gordon Hatcher in 1968, and, you know, Gary was this thriving major metropolitan city at the time. And I think subsequently after the mayor was elected, you know, I mean, for various different reasons, we've talked to a lot of different folks, right? And a lot of folks attribute it to different reasons. But, you know, a lot of white folks left Gary and they came to cities like Valparaiso and Portage and Maryville and Hobart. And a lot of those, as I've just named, are in Porter County, right? So there's these sort of like 
this this moving away from from Lake County that that happened a lot in like the 60s and 70s. And so I think to my, you know, to my mind, that's what I think of when I think of old wounds, this sort of like separating and, and sort of leaving behind. And that's just not interpersonal, right? That's like yeah. a bunch of people picking up and leaving and going somewhere else. So that, that comes with taking your tax dollars somewhere else. That goes with taking your businesses somewhere else. I mean, it's this huge economic disinvestment in Lake County. And so I think like, to my understanding with the folks we've talked to, it's like for Porter County, people feel like they were, you know, quote unquote, like pushed out. And then for Lake County, I mean, people are very disgruntled. It's like nobody was pushing anybody out, you know, you just left. And so I think that's just we've have these sort of, you know, this this relationship that's not we're not on the same page. You know, we don't I don't think we I don't know what communication looks like, but I think there's a lot of perceptions on both sides of, of who we are. So that's that's what my mind comes to for for old wounds. But yeah. in, in terms of healing, like I don't I don't know what that would look like. Yeah, I'm remembering an interview with a black resident who, as the white flight was happening, was was saying to himself, like, I don't understand why people are leaving. I'm I'm a good neighbor. Like, I think he even used that language in his interview. And so the the I think race and racism and I, I mean, she says, I hate painting everything in a racial context. But the more I think about it, the more I think it might be that. And, um, and I, I just feel like we've made some progress in thinking and maybe talking a little bit about race and racism, but I don't feel like people are often comfortable with assigning that, like, to be the sort of rock, uh, I was going to say rock bottom reason, but that sounds a little weird, like, (laughs) Because I, you know, people talk about the mills. People talk about the growth of suburbia. Um, people talk about wanting to get out of cities and have a, you know, the American dream, the white picket mm-hmm. fence. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's these things that are supposedly pulling them out of cities that don't have to do with race. But when you think about the policies and practices, I don't know how much we want to get into this right now. But like the very fact that the suburbs we're being subsidized by the federal government through the interstate act. So allowing like for, for us, it's I 65 to make Mm -hmm. there be really quick and easy access between the quote unquote suburbs and then Gary and the steel mills, um, that government money like enabled developers to create these suburbs and um, they were not available <laughs> to black residents. Um, yeah. It was really hard even after the civil rights movement and after some of the legislation passed that made fair housing available to everybody. There's still lots of ways in which people worked um, around that, including like fear and violence. So um, she says, I, I know that now the suburbs are opening up and they're not as exclusively white as they used to be but there's still remnants of that lingering and particularly by people in power. So I I just, I do think that race is still race and racism in particular are an obstacle. Um, I, I mean, I think people right now are talking a lot about what that takes to heal. Like how, how do you go about Mm -hmm. healing that? So I think it's a good time to be listening and paying attention to how people are talking about, you know, what do we do in terms of, 
racism and how do we heal these old wounds. Um, she uses this phrase, um, if we brought that all together, when she's talking about the way that Porter and Lake County could complement each other, she says it would change the whole dynamic of this area. Um, and I'm, I've, I think that she's thinking economically because she mentions mm-hmm. that for sure. But I feel like she's suggesting that there's something else as well, like um, a kind of forging of connections. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She also uses the phrase, there's a lot we could share. And I, I think if you feel about, if you think about what happens when people share things with each other, like if I share my lunch with you or I share a car <laughs> ride with you, like there are these little connections that get made through those small acts of generosity mm. that like warm us up towards each other. And so I, she, she calls it dream talk, <laughs> but I feel like don't we need a vision of who we could be together? MLK called it the beloved community. Um, like we need that vision also calling us forward for the healing part of it. Like, I feel like, I I know I fall into this myself as I'm thinking about racism and trying to work on being anti-racist. It can feel like it can get very heavy very quickly Mm -hmm. because there's a lot of pain there and maybe even guilt and shame as well. And so those are difficult emotions to motivate people (laughs) (laughs) with. But I feel like we can motivate each other with um, connection and generosity and care. So I don't want to get like too dreamy-eyed um, <laughs> as our storyteller talks about. But I do feel like if we started to create, even if we couldn't do it collectively yet, maybe some of us could um, in communities start to really visualize what it would mean to connect to each other to share like that might pull us forward a little bit too yeah I don't know like what do you have other thoughts about the healing of old wounds yeah no no I love what you say about like visualizing that and what it looks like part of part of me like thinks about like how how the speaker was saying in the big beginning like right like you know it's you know, you're, you're getting the mail for your neighbors or you're opening the door. And I think a lot of that has to do with like that geographic closeness, right? It's like, how do I do these like small acts that show my neighbors that I care when I'm not, you know, when I'm not living next door to them? I mean, my county is next door to them, but my house isn't necessarily next door to them. And so, I mean, for me, I think a large part of that is like, you know, experiencing Lake County, you know, uh, my partner just, you know, moved to Hammond to work in Hammond. And so I'm, I find myself on that side of the county a lot more. And so I think, I think there's something to that, right? I think there's something to like, kind of breaking down those perceptions and like, you know, what I've kind of been told by others or, you know, I think of like my grandma who says, you know, like, no, we don't go into Gary, you know, you need to lock your doors. We don't go there at night. You know, those types of things that you hear people talk about. And I think a, a lot of that is is kind of needs to be faced head on, right? Like yeah. maybe I'm just going to go and I'm going to see what it's all about. And then we're going to go have, you know, lunch in Gary or we're going to go to Miller Pizza or we're going to, you know, I'm going to go find a coffee shop in Hammond and I'm and I'm going to kind of experience those places outside of Valparaiso. And and I think that's where we can kind of open up those small moments, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
like we can not only see Lake County as fully as we do maybe Porter County, but we can also make space for those small moments where yeah. we are holding the doors open and things like that. Um, so I think I think that maybe even goes back to this original idea of, of you know, you and, and the storyteller, you know, sharing that moment in the car of like having that empathy of like understanding like where, where we're both at, you know, understanding the perspective of each and having that empathy and being in each other's shoes is what I mean. And so I think by going over to Lake County, you know, and experiencing more things over there, I think, I think you can start to challenge those perceptions. And I think that's how maybe your vision for, for what we could be can become even fuller to understand that. Um, because I, mm. you know, I'm certainly battling a lot of perceptions that I've heard growing up in Valparaiso about yeah. Lake County. And so I think maybe that's the first step. Because, you know, beforehand, I'm just, you know, I work in Chicago now. And so before COVID, you know, all I'm doing is writing like, you know, 94 into Chicago and just riding the expressway over all of these cities that I've never really been in. And so I think maybe that's the first step. Yeah, I was always struck by the fact that once we started doing more interviewing in Gary and, and like getting um, tours with people that live there now or used to live there, like it became not a city that I passed on the interstate on my way to Chicago, but it became a city of neighborhoods and real places like St. John's Lutheran or the National Park there um, or IUN or um, the downtown and the um, city hall. So I, I do think you're right. Like we need to give ourselves these physical experiences that make concrete these different these different places. Um, I know there's a lot more that we could still talk about with this story. Um, but that's it for today. And uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks again to our sponsors, Asana Yoga Center at asanacenter.com and Roots Organic Juice Cafe at rootsjuicecafe.com. We here at Welcome Project Radio love to support our local businesses. And if, as always, you can find us online at welcomeproject.valpo.edu and wherever you get your podcasts.